Off the Ball. Find us on Twitter at Off the Ball. News Talk 106 to 108. Now you're very welcome along. It's the paper review. We're with you every Sunday. We're streaming right now on all our social channels. You'll be able to podcast in the usual places. We're joined in studio by Shane Keegan, former manager of Wexford Youths and Galway United, and uh, writes a column in the Times Online every Thursday. And we have David Snade as well whose uh, work we'll be talking about today in the mail on Sunday. Lads, you're both very welcome. Thanks a million for coming in. So I'll give people the headlines first of all. Uh, Sunday Independent I have first, and it's uh, all about Munster and the rugby. Munster stand tall. Carberry stars on fine day for provinces is their lead story. Over here, as you would have seen yesterday, managers called the shots as GAA abandoned the hand-pass rule. We're not going to see the three-hand-pass rule making its way into the league campaign starting very shortly. And then down the bottom, Lowry holds his nerve to grind out desert victory. A very, very happy, as you might imagine, Shane Lowry. Back page of the sun then, Sarri in blasted flops. That was interesting yesterday, Mauricio Sarri saying he's finding it quite difficult to motivate his Chelsea players. Not a shocking thing really to hear about that dressing room over the years. And uh, Wayne Rooney here, give Poch the United job. Rooney wants um, Pochettino to get the job as opposed to Solskjaer. Star Sport Sunday then. Uh, we'll fight to the end. Klopp, don't doubt us. I think increasingly people aren't. And then 270 grand a week. Chelsea uh, splashed the cash to grab Gonzalo Higuain, who's going to be amongst the Premier League's top five earners when he signs for Chelsea uh, this week. So 270 grand a week gets you Higuain these days. And then um, back page of the Sunday World. Uh, Pools fight Klopp. So again, this is Jurgen, Jurgen Klopp declaring Liverpool are ready to fight title rivals Manchester City right to the bitter end. Then we have uh, Sunday Times and it's Liverpool on your front page here. Bumpy Ride is the big um, headline. Liverpool come from behind to win 4-3 in Thriller against Palace. And again, that GA hand pass story here. GA scraps hand pass limit in rules overhaul. Then the uh, Mirror, 7th Heaven. Uh, record breaker Ole on charge, but cop lead is crystal clear. Sums up the day yesterday. And then uh, the mail on Sunday, finally. Uh, great shot of Peter Romani with uh, his rib, no doubt, and all sorts of pain tackling um, an Exeter player yesterday. And it's Reds on cloud nine. Three Carberry kicks, enough to put Munster into quarterfinals. Uh, Munster nine, Exeter seven. Bottom here, chemical ban. Uh, Mick should forget all about Declan Rice. He's shown us little respect, something I suspect if we don't get to today, we'll talk to Kevin about during the week and a picture of Shane Larry. So they are your uh, front pages, lads. Now, as usual, the guests pick the stories and the papers, and I'm with two football men, so <laughs> rugby has been shamelessly looked over in the main. But it's actually a great day to have you both in. There is um, a three-page, I was going to say two-page, two-page, mm. but there's a three-page spread, an interview with Paul Kimmage and Future, Republic of Ireland senior manager, currently under 21 manager, uh, Stephen Kenny, which we'll get to. Uh, David, we should start with your piece, given that you're here. No worries. Let's massage that ego. I was just saying, oh, I didn't pick. You were saying, I didn't David's pick. David's insisted <laughs> that we start with his piece. I was going to turn around the way in, <laughs> on the bus. Uh, look, yeah. we, we can't have David talking about his own piece, really, can we? So I'll, I'll, I'll jump in and what, save what him. What was your inspiration, David? Um, <laughs> here uh, it is. I'll, hey, hold, I'll, I'll take you back. I'll right. hold it up here so you can have a look. It is uh, page 82 and 83 of the Mail on Sunday. And what you've done here is talk with four current Bohemians players who once were of the uh, very famous St. Kevin's Vintage and talk to them about their experiences abroad in the UK, trying to make it 
and uh, shock horror. The experiences yeah. weren't as glamorous as we all might think. A big surprise, all right, isn't it? Um, yeah, look, it, it, I suppose it's, it's an often told story of, of what happens over there. We're all kind of aware of the statistics. I think it, it used to be three in 100. I think that's decreased probably down to two or possibly one in 100 with the, the, the influx of foreigners, even at, at academy level now. Um, but it still makes for a great read. And, and I think the, the thing I like best about it is it's, it's probably it's a new enough concept bringing four lads together which creates the fantastic environment where, how many questions do you ask, David? Maybe two, three questions. I know, yeah. You get a group of lads together, it doesn't Lazy take a whole journalism. lot. <laughs> I, know. It was, I, I was just looking for a handy week, to be honest. I was like, just do a bit of transcribing rather than actually... Uh, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't get a lot to get them talking, does it? No, we're talking about Daryl Leahy, Luke Wade Slater, Robbie McCourt and Danny Mandrew. Mandrew, yeah, yeah. Mandrew. My favourite bit is, the, of the whole piece, like it's really insightful and you, you do get a good feel for some of the obstacles they face like at one point Daryl Lee he says that he was basically told he wouldn't play in the first team because that would cost the club more money yeah. with payments to Malahide and Kevins you just don't think you're going to face those obstacles when you go over as a green-eyed yeah. young player and you think well I mean I, I, I might not play for many reasons that won't be one of them so that was one of the things but it's the dynamic which is good fun you've got Robbie McCourt similarly when talking about reasons for not getting a, a chance Robbie McCourt's problem is that uh, Tony Poulos has taken yeah. over and will only play if you're plus six foot apparently and he didn't tick that box so there's, there's not a whole lot he can do to solve that either is there yeah the um, dynamic though kicks out uh, the best part for me is they're talking about Christmas and flights home mm. and how it's last minute and Someone saying that West Brom were the worst at giving you notice and then you have to book the flights yourself and they're crazy expensive at the end. And one player is talking about, um, it's Lee, I think, being on his own for Christmas two years in a row. Someone says, that's horrible. And uh, Lee says, yeah, I was sitting in the digs with another family. It just didn't feel right. And um, Wade Slater says that he was in a hotel and his mom came over. And then the best bit, in my opinion, of the whole piece is Danny Mandrew says, yeah, I miss New Year's two years in a row. And Robbie McCourt says, New Year's, will you relax? And um, Danny says, what, it's the best bit of the year. And oh, you just, yeah. that, you mean, <laughs> <That was actually laughs> miss, missing New Year's. Literally, every, you know, over they all literally broke their heart and laughed. And even <laughs> I was looking at them thinking, what are you talking No about? one cares about New Year's. No, yeah, that was funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah look, they all, they all uh, four fellas who, as you say, are all about to turn 21 this year. It's, yeah. it's, you yeah. get, I suppose, you get exactly the kind of conversation that you'd expect from four fellas yeah. that are about to turn 21 to a certain extent, leaving aside the insight that they can give. Um, but yeah, it is. There, is. there is some really, really good insight to it. Um, I mean, towards the very end, you get you get Robbie saying that um, the bit that kind of struck home with me is you, you think you will just come back home and play straight away, but it's not like that. Um, and that, that is very, very much the problem. The, right. the fellas who are going to succeed when they have to come back here are the ones who can come into a set. First of all, they've got to have the hunger to come back into a setup in the first place. Mm. And then can they actually get their head around the fact that well, nobody in your dressing room really cares that you were in England six months ago? They really don't. Mm. <laughs> you're, you're not going to walk into the team just because you have whatever West Brom is the last team on, you, on your CV. And that's, that's a serious shock. It's a serious shock to go from potentially thinking you weren't that far off the starting eleven at the likes of a Brighton or the likes of a West Brom in these boys' cases mm. to you can't get in the matchday squad or you can't get in the starting eleven at a, at, at a level that you thought was far beneath you, actually, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's tough. It, it, is, it certainly is. If you're wanting the backstory, uh, Leahy, a left-back, signed for Coventry in 2015 and... That ended by mutual consent in December 2017. McCourt is a centre-back midfielder. He went to 
uh, West Brom. That ended in acrimony, it seems. And then uh, Brighton attacker Mandreau and Wade Slater went to Stevenage in the fourth tier yeah. of English football in 2015. I think even he talks about just panic setting in yeah. and going to Stevenage with that, instead of the he, prospect of going into the under-19s Irish League. Yeah, it was an interesting one because he sort of... I, don't, I actually can't remember if the line is in it, but he basically said he was actually bricking it about going into the next level of Irish football. Just to be honest, I, I, was, I was shitting in here just yeah. uh, at the thought of going into the 19s League. A few of us uh, went together. We thought, right, we'll all go over. We'll do well together. That, I, I don't want to stay in the League of Ireland. That was his thinking. He just wanted, he felt as if, right, I get over to England and then things will just go from there and everything's going to be, like, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be great for him. It was just, in terms of, with, with the, the lads, I sort of, I did a piece before the FAI Cup final with um, Patrick McElhenney and Michael Duffy yeah. and the two of them, kind of, it was, it was only a small part of it, but they were talking about their life going to trials and all the rest of it. And something just, even then I was thinking, like, there's going to be a few lads here in the team, and even how it's worked out with the four of them being on the same Kevin's team, it just coming back. It just that was the reasoning behind doing the piece, and then but just listening to their to their stories, like in little things, like even like with Robbie McCart, who was basically being told for six months, we we want you gone, like we don't want you here. We'll pay out, we'll pay up a certain amount of money, but they weren't willing to give him what he was owed, so he stuck it out. His manager is saying hello to him every day, but his manager is the one who wants him out of the club, and right. he's dealing with all that. And yeah, I, I, had a, I had a couple of phone calls from his agent actually trying to to seek to get him a loan move to get him out of there because obviously his his head wasn't in a in a good space. Now it didn't come to it; we 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 didn't end up working together. But yeah, they were they were obviously trying to get him out of there. I'd say his head was in a really really bad place, yeah. and you get that vibe from the article too. You know, an interesting question for you then, Shane, is with these players coming back from two, three, four years in England, and mm. clearly were very good players going over there to begin with. Do they come back fitter, stronger, with better technique than the batch who stay? Definitely not fitter, stronger. Um, we were chatting about that outside. Definitely not fitter, stronger, which is remarkable for a multi-million pound industry. How things are just left so loose and on the fly. You, you talk to, I don't know, maybe these four boys, but certainly in, in the cases of players that I've spoken to, the gym culture is a kind of here are some exercises that we'd like you to do and off you go and do it in your own time. Even the amount of collective... Um, Strength and core strength and exercises that we're doing were, were little to none. Like, yeah. like a, a, a minor, a mi- an intercounty minor Gaelic football team would be doing far, far more um, strength and condition work than a, a Premier League Academy team would be in, in that age group. It's hard that, to fathom, isn't it? Yeah, it's one of the first things you do. One of the first things you do when you get one of these fellas is you need, you need to try and build them up a little bit, definitely strength wise, which is it's, uh, hard to understand how and, that and can be the case. Do we, do we think there's maybe some logic over in the UK whereby, well, let's focus on the technique and that stuff will come later, or do you actually just think it's borderline negligent? Yeah, it would certainly strike me as borderline negligent, yeah. so it would. I, I, don't under, I, I don't know what the justification is. We're for not it. giving it some logic, is I, what we're saying. I'm, I'm, Makes I, no sense. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to, to, to hear the views of people in the, in the system, although they're probably just denied. I don't, I don't know. They come in, I think everybody likes being on the grass, you know, they yeah. like looking after all that, and it's do they really want to kind of be shoving these possibly already wealthy footballers into a gym when they don't really want to be in the gym and mm. I, I don't know it, it, it really does it, it amazes me so it does um, I, I had I was saying to, to David I, I would have had first hand experience of it with um, so I'd, I'd liberate in the Leash Kilkenny border so we would have had um, Mikey Drennan down there 
um, and Mikey got a move to Aston Villa when he was about 16 and now as it transpired over the last few years Mike had quite a few problems going on he stepped away from the game completely because of depression issues um, for a while and is now back and, and is with St Pat's this year and fingers crossed we'll have a great season but when he was over at Aston Villa he really really struggled with it um, and because I'd had him for a few years and we were reasonably close um, on two separate occasions Aston Villa actually paid for my flights and the whole lot to, to, to get me over there to kind of help him settle and yeah. try and get him to calm down. These were on occasions where essentially he had said, oh, here I'm going home, yeah. kind of a thing. Um, and you're doing everything you can, but it's amazing, Joe, like there's so little for them to do. There is so, so little for them to do. I remember throwing one suggestion out there. We sat down and said, right, Mike, what do you like to do? If you're at home, what would you be doing? Mm. And one of the things he said was, um, Mike was good at everything and he was, he was good at golf. And, right, let's get you a golf membership, you know, and we suggested that to when we went back into the people and, uh, oh no, that's far too much physical activity, he can't be playing golf in his, in his free time, you know, so we had to knock that one on the head and what, how do they fill their days? He can sit in a golf cart. One of the players actually says, and I'm sorry if the four of them are listening, it's hard to keep up with all the names, yeah. but one of them did say that he thoroughly enjoyed the training, being out in the grass, those yeah. two, three hours in the morning, the rest of it, frankly, was... Close to miserable. I mean, after when I went home, I was just thinking, I don't understand. Why don't you not just have training with these lads in the afternoon? Yeah, double like, sessions. Like I know, not even double sessions. Like, like I know, obviously, professional football life over there, you train in the morning and you're finished. But with these lads, when you come over, give them the morning free. You can probably get into a lot less trouble at ten o'clock in the yeah. morning than in the evening. So just have the sessions in the, in the afternoon, do a bit of work, and like it's only something simple, but. And then by the time they're finished, they could be wrecked tired in the in the evening after, and they might not want to go out. They might not want to do whatever. But I just it was one little small thing that Maybe. came into my head. Why not just have it in an afternoon training session? As someone who can sometimes battle to get up in the morning, my first thought then would be, well, they'll be up watching Netflix two or three every morning, and they'll be sleeping yeah, into probably. midday. I mean, if you so, give if you give people the opportunity to sleep in, yeah. it can happen very easily, and then you're not sleeping well at night. Maybe you're better off getting them out of bed. But I just can't believe they're not given more to do in the afternoon. So, um, actually, back to the, the question then initially. So, physically, and it's quite remarkable, they're not coming back a step ahead of the pack who stay here. What about technically and in terms of how they understand tactics on the game? Yeah, I would say that, yeah, you would say that technically they, they certainly are, are at least on a par, probably a hedge, yeah, in that sense. So, yeah. they are. And then it depends on what age they're coming back at and how long they've had over there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Trying to think of own, my own practical examples, last year at Galway United we would have had um, Ronan Murray. Now Ronan's a different scenario because what's happened, Ronan's been there 10 years, like Ronan's 27 let's say. So he's been there 10 years and he's kind of, he played for Ipswich under Roy Keane but he, he slowly trickled down the divisions and he's ended up at a stage where he's playing at a level, you know, maybe going on trial with the conference sides and that kind of crack and he's saying, no, you know what, I have enough of it over here, I'm, I'm going to go back home. But again... You're interested to see, one, how is he going to acclimatise to it? But, Joe, first training session. I mean, first training session. The players, the staff, everybody is going, you know, this fella is way ahead of anything that we've got. Way ahead of anything that we've got. You could clearly see it in his case, but he's had 10 years. If we weren't seeing it with him with full-time training for 10 years, it'd be a problem, you know? Technically, most of these lads would be better even before they've gone to England. That's That's the reason reason why they're going to England, you know? It's a skewed argument in that sense. They were very, very good to begin with, as we said. It's just the attitude. It's just even with the attitudes. I made a point even just in it, like, the four lads have come home, but they're actually sort of the lucky ones in a sense because there's so many who have come home and won't get picked up by clubs mm. here and get that chance and probably won't even want it. They'll just be totally sick of football. And like chatting to the lads, like some of them like there was a little you could tell that they were horse by what by what's happened. There was a bit of bravado and a little bit and a bit of slagging and all the rest of it. But 
like these are the lucky lads in the sense of that they've got another chance that they yeah. can still play a bit of football and also they have someone now like Aki Long and Trevor Colley who can actually get a hold of them and maybe give them that bit, bit of motivation to kind of keep on going. Like. It's a few, like they all seem to share regrets about the clubs they cho chose, you know. I regretted it definitely, says one player. I struggled badly, the club just wasn't right for me. Lovely place, but they don't actually give younger players opportunities. I could have gone to Southampton. They do give opportunities. I don't think I made a wrong decision. I just dot, dot, dot. And Wade Slater says, you could have made a better one. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And that is the thing. You're making these huge decisions at 13, 14, 15. You don't really know the ins and outs of how a club works. I mean, the, like, if it was 300 a while back, Niall Quinn did make the point when he was talking a few weeks back that we are almost at a point now where the academies at Premier League level are so global and so thorough in terms of the talent they're bringing in that it's pie in the sky stuff to be to even think about going over anymore. Like the model almost has changed is where we are. I don't know what you'd say to a 15 year old who's, you know, the best at St. Kevin's right now and he's got a Premier League club interested. It just feels like you almost need to say to the 15 year old, you're not going to make it. Yeah. You, need, you know, you need to almost come to terms with that now so that when it happens at 18, 19, you just view this as your footballing education and you're mentally then prepared at 18, 19 to go. It's so, I'd say it's so difficult because I'm even tying it in with, say, the argument, and I just mentioned Declan Royce on this for a little bit, so if, who, who does he pick, Ireland or England? And for some reason, they'll say, well, well you'll get 100 caps for Ireland, you're not going to play for England. Like, that's probably the last thing, like, that should be like, the last argument you're making to Claire. Well, actually, you're not good enough to play for England, but you're good enough to play for Ireland. Like, that player will think, Royce will think, well, no, I actually am good enough. They're, like, all those fellas naturally would believe that they will make it. Mm. So... It's hard like, to get their head around. Like, going I mean, on. Yeah, yeah, like it's very difficult, and it's even now with Gavin, say Gavin Bazuni, who's going to be going to Man City. Like they're trying to now get him over early. Like so, with all being set up, yeah, he's going to stay with Rovers and do his leaving, mm. and then he'll go over. But then, literally, I think within a couple of months of, of him signing, they signed another keeper from from America as yeah. well, and he's now probably thinking, Jesus, like what, what, the, what, like, what do I do? Do I? And but now they're still talking about him doing his leaving, but going over sooner. So. Goalposts move, and they, they all agree as well. It does come down to maybe the first team manager if you're going to get over there. But all these lads will believe, like any young player, like they're all going to believe in their ability. The other, yeah. The other things, in the other thing in terms of the sale, sales pitch that's been given to them when they go over there is, well, if it doesn't work out here, that you've got an, an, yeah. an awful long way to trickle back down, you know, and you've yeah. got that on your CV, you know. Yeah. If 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 I go to Brighton and it doesn't work out, well, I've got Brighton on my CV forever, and there's lots of levels below Brighton. That's, if that's I don't true. go to Brighton and I sign for Bohemians 19s and it doesn't work out with Bohemians 19s, yeah. my next trickle down is the Leinster Senior League, you know. Yeah. That's I suppose. Do you know what I'm actually? Do you know what is certainly of a bygone era is the notion that you would go over there and not be also basically in full-time education. I just can't believe you're allowed to take 14, 15 year olds and not provide them with education. I think Man City will give you a private education now if you go over. Kev was saying that a and few weeks back. College, yeah, it's one of the best schools, yeah. yeah. Shouldn't that be the norm, really, if you're taking a batch of 20 a year, that you actually educate them? They should think that you would just go over and then at 18, 19, turfed out, and you might have to get an apprenticeship or go back to school or just start from scratch. It's and crazy. Not, not to defend the multi-million pound industries and clubs that you I have, do. but I suppose the only thing I'd say on that is there's, there's two sides of the street there. Like the player, if the player, an awful, awful lot of time, unfortunately, yeah. some of our best footballers... They're not great students to begin with. Mightn't be great students. Yeah. And they might have shown, if, if, if you couldn't get them to really, really focus here where they were supposed to be doing it and where it was, you yeah. know, send it over there where it, they can go if they want or not go if they don't want, 
you know, that's a really fair are, point. They're not no, going to no. embrace really it. Really fair you know? point. You're defending the millionaires, but it is a fair, <laughs> it is, it is a fair point. You have to, yeah, you have to want it. Like, those lads are going over to play football as well. Like, they're going over to make a career as footballers. So, yeah. Geography book's been left in the bag at home. Yeah, what, what needs to be there, as you say, is what needs to be there is, right, I'm very good at football, but by the way, I've also been doing quite well in school. How are you going to tick that box for me when I get over there? That apps, there is no excuse under the sun for that not been, been, been provided. Yeah. Mm. Page 82 and 83 there, the Mail on Sunday. If you're a Bohemians fan, you'll definitely want to check that out. Or if you're thinking of heading over, if you're a young, talented player, it's well worth a read. So um, Stephen Kenny then, I haven't seen him do much since the announcement was made. He was in Marion Finucane, as comes up. Yeah. in his interview with Paul Kimmich. So it's not a one- or two-page spread, it's a three-page spread with Stephen Kenny. How would you summarise the tone of this interaction? <laughs> so I sort of goes from judgmental to actually then pro- going into a kind of a conversation at the start, but it's, it's just very interesting. Like, uh, a bit of an arm wrestle. Yeah, at the start, well, let's be honest, like, Paul Kimmich goes in two-footed from the very start, like, and it's typical of how we, how we go in, and it's good. Like, it sort of, I don't know if it sort of takes Stephen Kenny by, by surprise, but it's just like, the first page of it is just sort of, not that you're wincing, but you're sort of reading, and you're, you get a sense of just how maybe how the conversation was going, naturally, because obviously it's, it's transcribed out, and you get that, the back and forth. It's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great read for, for Sunday. Like, it's, it really is, yeah. His point on that first page is almost about the Marion Finucane interview and Paul had this sense that Stephen Kenny was very nervous. You know, that's kind of, there. he said, well, well, what's the root cause of that or why is that? It was a car crash interview almost. Why mm. were you feeling yeah. the, the pressure almost? And Stephen Kenny doesn't really have any great answer, you know, or doesn't really want well, to engage too much in that whole area. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think, look, I think it's absolutely brilliant. It's, it's, it's mm. a fascinating, fascinating read. It, it's, a, it's a bit of an awkward read at times and yeah. you can almost feel... You almost feel uncomfortable reading it at, 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 at sections, but I think it's all the better for that. Um, I do think that Paul might have a slight misconception as to what sort of a person Stephen is. Um, I mean, you see there at, at the end of, of Paul's introduction, um, he says that Kenny was an open goal um, and that he will regale us with stories of playing with Roy Keane, regale us with stories of, of, of Roy, Ray Houghton and, and John Aldridge at Oxford. Um, you know, Stephen Kenny is not really somebody who regales people with stories, um, for starters. Right. And in terms of the uncomfortableness of the Marion Finucane interview, well, no, that's kind of how Stephen communicates. He's he's not he's he's seems to be quite comfortable with what others would regard as a, a kind of an awkward silence. He he thinks before he he talks. He doesn't just blab like I'm doing now. You know, yeah. and he'll. You know, he'll really, really think of every word, and and that can make people feel uncomfortable. And I, I, I'll tell you, I read it, and then I had a bit of a drive up to here, so I threw back on the Marion Finucane interview as I was driving okay. up, just to think, you know, you know, let me listen back to that in in right. the way that Paul heard it. And absolutely, you know, you can see why people go, you know, that's that's quite an uncomfortable interview. It's not really. It's kind of how Stephen communicates. You know, he's not probably the most. You know, as I say, he's not blabby. He thinks about every word. Everything he says is is kind of you know very very much thought through before it comes out of his mouth. And I I don't think he would. I think he's. I won't say his nose that would joint here, but like even Paul says himself, he looks at me quizzically. He he's probably looking at you quizzically, Paul, because he he didn't really feel there was all that wrong with that interview. Or okay. you know, I, I would think. I would think maybe I'm wrong. You know, it, it's the way, like 
it's a great read. Genuinely, is a great read. It's one of them where you, it's three pages, but you'll fly through it. Yeah. Like it's not a kind of you kind of go back to it or you'll you you'll you'll fly through it. And like far be it from me to say, well, this is how he should have done it. But I do think if if he was if if Paul was looking for for Stephen to kind of be say regaling him and coming out with all these stories, if he had have actually started the interview, I think it's on the second page where he goes, let's talk about the game. Like, not that you have to discern him, but that's how. I know from just from dealing with them. If you get them talking about football and then, then the other stuff comes out rather than going in with that straight away, okay. maybe I would have thought that's just but that's just how I would have how I would have done it. But but to be honest, at the same time, it's still a great read. Like you're not gonna I don't think it's any worse for it. It's not, it's just you just you will literally fly through it and there's so much so much stuff in it and so much, also a lot of fair, quite a few, few bits that come out that no one would have been aware no, of I, on the League of Ireland, say beat and stuff, which is is which is the the point of an interview. I as think well. it's, it's it's very revealing. Like yeah. the fact that it's on edge for so much of it. One, it makes it compelling, as you yeah, said. So it's yeah. a compelling read. And two, sometimes putting someone on edge yep. means you they reveal a whole lot more about themselves mm. just by how they handle being under pressure. It's why in job interviews. Absolutely. They put you properly on edge. Yeah, it's yeah. not because they think you're bad. It's because they want to see how do you react to being under pressure here, yeah. feeling mm-hmm. like things aren't going your way. And like, so you, you do get that sense. Like in some respects, like so the Saipan conversation. So I give that as, as an example. In some respects, it's very you know it's it's uh, it is at that arm wrestle, and you think God this this is, in places is uh, awkward is not the right word, um, but you think Stephen King is an unusual character. Like he, he wouldn't have been asked for that before either. Probably not. You never probably would have been asked. And yet, at the end of it, you come away with, well, in fairness to him, okay, there was a certain awkwardness there, or a certain um, difficulty there in his personality. But he didn't bow down either. He didn't. He didn't feel the pressure. Well, I better give an answer to keep this person happy that he was interviewing yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to stick to my guns here, even though I can tell the interviewer's not happy. All of that stuff is going on through the piece that reveals things about Kenny. Uh, and and mm. what it, what ends up happening then is, it ends up being a brilliant piece but been a brilliant piece I think in a very very different way than Paul Kimmage had probably intended but it to be as he says himself, but he, the last line of the intro is right. this was a surprise yeah. you know so for instance to give you a sense of it because we're probably not explaining it very well yeah. <laughs> so like he talks about um, Stephen Kenny's from Tyler he talk, and he talked about the stigma of Tyler in the 80s actually and you know an amazing story where uh, Siobhan his wife went to Tyler Community College and he remembered Back in the 80s, he says, I'm not being disrespectful. One of the girls got a job as an air hostess and that was announced over the intercom as a big deal, you know? An amazing kind of look back at a different time. So in the 80s, he had a trial for Oxford. Oxford, big team at the time. Uh, Aldridge was there and Houghton was there. And I didn't realise... Did does everyone know that he played in the Fairview game, the Roy Keane Fairview game? I, I personally didn't. So right, amazing. Okay, so I, did, I had no idea. This is the famous game where Roy Keane, I think they lose 4-0 off memory. Keane is just a man possessed and pissed off and That's runs around the pitch and he yeah. gets his move to Nottingham Forest and Novakovic, yeah. So, um, you know, Kenny was playing in that game and talks about how, uh, for me, he was the best player in our age group. That was my opinion. But did I think he'd be playing at Anfield two months later? No, I didn't see that happening. So that leads us into um, Saipan. <laughs> Where did you stand in Saipan? He laughs. Uh, I don't know. Listen, dot, dot, dot. You effing do know. Everyone has a view in Saipan. <laughs> <laughs> it is just... You can actually imagine that. Ah, that's great. That's yeah, no, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And um, I'm not fudging the question. You are fudging the question. I'm not. Life isn't black or white, and I don't see it as black or white the way you do. Paul Kimmage laughs. <laughs> that's presumptuous of you. No, I don't know you, but just the way you've been talking, you draw very clear lines and stuff. Kimmage is going to say, look, I've listened to everybody. Everybody in Irish football has an opinion on Saipan. 
he finds it strange as well that Kenny reads about Jim Larkin but didn't read Roy Keane's book and it goes on again um, and Kenny says look in terms of Saipan I don't know enough about it in terms of the intricacy of who said what so I'm not going to side with one or the other and I know you want me to and that you think I'm fudging it but unless you're part of the inner circle you don't know and um, Kim is like, well, you know, what, what do you mean you don't know what was happening? You know, where were you with all the papers? Every Tom, Dick, Harry was on the radio giving an opinion. And uh, Kenny says, yeah, I know there were versions, but... And Kimmich says, no, seriously, where were you in 02? Kenny says, I honestly don't know uh, where I was. I'm giving you the impression now that I'm completely disorganised, am not I? You are. In fact, I'm starting to worry that we've made a catastrophic mistake by appointing you as the next manager. It's unbelievable. You can't remember anything. You've no effing opinions on anything. Why would I want to play for you? In brackets, he looks at me, wounded. Kimmage, that was a joke, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Kenny says, it's wrong to say I haven't opinions yeah. and stuff. And, and on a, you know, so that is a, Sam, put it this way, you're not getting anything boring here. No. Like, that's the edge of the seed stuff. I, and I think what makes that's it... Throughout the piece as well, that's the, those sort of interactions there throughout it as well, which makes it... And that explains my point about Kenny's not bowing down either and saying, OK, look, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with Roy or I'm with Mick or whatever. He's holding his ground and it's... Uh, and it's a, it's a, it's it's almost, I, th- I think nearly what makes the the piece almost is as much as anything is the clash between two different personality types. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you've just caught the line like, the, the, you're fudging the question. I'm not. Life isn't black and white, and I don't see it as black and white the way you do. There's two very different people. Yeah. Paul Kimmage is very black and white, very to the point, very uh, abrupt. And well, as he as he says in the piece, that's very presumptuous of you. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the I suppose that's the way he comes across, yeah. um, but, but and that's Stephen why he's so brilliant. Stephen Kenny's shown a bit of teeth as well there. Yeah, dig back. But as I say, he, yeah. I don't think he feels compelled to ever give people what they expect of him. He's abs- I mean, he talks. I think he talks on. I think it's possibly page three where he gets into. Um, well, Paul takes him into. Yeah, we'll get the, into that. Yeah. The, the, the Shamrocks leaving Shamrock Rovers and that kind of thing, and it appears. Speaking from somebody who has would have in the last six months lost their job in in a football sense, yeah. losing the Shamrock Rovers job even more so possibly than losing the the, the job in Scotland okay, seems to have been the making of him. He he now more than ever has a sense of self and yeah. that I am my own man. I'm a, maybe a little bit different in some respects to mm-hmm. other people. What other people expect of me? Yeah. But I am not going to be the pe- person that people want me to be. Yeah. I'm going to be Stephen Kenny, the person that I know I am, and I'm going to be really, really true to that. And that, uh, I, you know, you see, that to me is why he has flourished yes. at Dundalk. I think that's such a true sense. The quote failure, doesn't yeah. it? It can like, often happen with failure where you're trying to appease different people and it doesn't work and then you think, well, sod that. If well, I'm going to fail, I might as well do it my that's, way. That's the quote from him where right. he says, like, when I finished up at Rovers, I was at my lowest deb, and then I realised I don't care what people think anymore. I know as much about this as anyone in the field. That probably sounds vain, but I decided whatever anyone thought in the future was irrelevant. Yeah. So, as you're right, but losing the job at Rovers, again, as we're saying, like it's it's in the piece, it's not going to, well, we'll maybe spoil a section about a bereavement that was very close to him. I won't say the exact nature of it because people would want to read it. Yeah. And that never had came out, had never come out before. Right. And it's, yeah, it's, it can, I can only imagine what that kind of period would have been like from in his life having lost a person close to him and then having... It was a close friend. People are wondering, they should still read the piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a close friend and it seemed to leave And him we lost him, he lost his friend to suicide. So like, and then, yeah, and then obviously losing the job and then that obviously resolve, obviously was kind of born maybe out of that. He would have had it before, obviously, but I'd say that was maybe reaffirming it for him, I'd say. 
If so, I did wonder, and look, you, I don't know how well you know Stephen Shane, reasonably to a point. Look, to a point, not, okay. certainly not as well as, as anybody who's worked with him, but he's, he's a fascination to me because, you know, from my point of view, he didn't have a, a massive playing career. I wouldn't have had a playing career. So naturally, he's the kind of fellow that yeah. in my shoes you would latch on to and you'd, you'd be looking at every little different thing he does. I said in here in your own studio before as well that, you know, if, if I already had a bit of an admiration for him, um, the fact that he would have given me a phone call within a few days of, of me losing my job at Galway and kind of talked me through the process. Well, not talked me through the process, but said, I understand where you are now and here's how I felt when it happened to me. And... You feel like every room you walk into, everybody's talking about you, and almost kind of said to me, "Not very many people care about the League of Ireland, Shane. You need to worry. <laughs> there's yeah. not that many people talking about you, kind of a thing." Um, he was really, really good in, in in that sense, and I say, you know, you, yeah, again, in my shoes, you have to take great comfort from the fact that what seems to have made the man is losing his job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just asked that because I do wonder if he has his guard up here a touch. Now, I appreciate there are certain areas he may not want to delve too much into, like. So he talked to Marion Finucane about being adopted. Kimmich mm-hmm. brings that up with him naturally here. And he's, he's probing, he's pushing, and Kenny kind of says, look, I was adopted, it wasn't that big a deal. Um, and he does talk about being curious eventually. But the guy who's very introspective and deeply thoughtful, and we see glimpses of that in his programme notes, that doesn't tie in for me with I was adopted, it wasn't a big deal. Or mm-hmm. Kimmich, for instance, says, let's talk about the game. How important was football growing up in terms of your self-esteem? I don't know. I think I just loved it. Now, I promise you, if we said to Stephen Kenny, write programme notes on football and sport and self-esteem, we wouldn't get, I don't know, I think I just loved it. Yeah. I, and I just wonder, is he coming down, putting in the guard a little bit because he realises he is now segueing into a different position in Irish life, Irish sport, and I just wonder if he's been a little more guarded. Now, I don't have as much experience talking to him yeah. as you guys do. And maybe the previous 45 minutes or hour of the conversation means he's a little bit you never know, dodging. Yeah. And, you no, know. Like, yeah, like my, my main experience just of dealing with him is obviously in interviews and see, and, and all the rest of it. Like, I can't say I know him. Yeah, great sure. person. Like, and he's, and interviews are a false environment. Yeah, like he's great to talk to and all the rest of it. Like, it's, it's at the end of it where it is. It's like, it's like a five-hour interview. Yeah. And... Like, to be honest, things amazing. I know, like, like, yeah, but like, it's first of all a five-hour interview, and obviously, actually, my first thought when I saw it was three pages. Well, I was like, hope for the desk, the Sunday in those desk point of view that you could file this early. Because like, <laughs> he was filing this at like seven o'clock on a Friday, I'd feel bad for him. But um, yeah, no, like, I know what you mean. The question, like, he, maybe he puts up a barrier, but it, that can like that can be stuff. It's very difficult to get out with someone in an interview, regardless. Five hours, like that's totally. deeply, deeply personal stuff, and like. He deals with it and the questions are asked and he goes through it and, and some of it and I don't think he's fudging it. It's just, it could be, it could, it might, he genuinely might not have... It could be something that is compartmentalised and it's something that maybe he'll deal with further down the line. I don't know if, but, if it's a case yeah. of, oh, I can't talk about it because I'm going to be the Ireland manager. I don't know if it would have been that. I'm not clinging to that theory that strongly. I'm almost just raising it. and Like the self-esteem question, I highlighted that because I, yeah. thought, I thought more so the, look, the adoption's tricky territory. And he's, mm. I, he's not obligated to do anything here. And let me make that very clear. I don't feel in any way cheated by the answer. Yeah, yeah, that. I know. But on, just on the self-esteem and sport one, I kind of just thought, I, I feel like he does have thoughts on self-esteem and sport. I think he's seen it all around him his whole life. I think he's seen what it's done for young men across his life. So I just thought, why is he yeah. not elaborating on that? And that's reading too much into about 18 words in a 10,000 word yeah, I, piece. Again, I, I think it's because he, 
I think with all these answers, like I mean, there's there's no answer where he goes into you know there's no answer that's, that's detail, exactly. Yeah. And I think that there's two. I, I do think there's two reasons behind it. I think you've hit the nail on the head to a certain extent. It has to. How can it not affect what he can say? The role that he's now in, hmm. he has to be more conscious of what he's saying and who he's saying it to and how much of himself he can put out there. But I do also think that I mean, right? He's a football manager. By and large, football managers like to be in control. In an interview with Paul Kimmage, you probably certainly don't feel you're the one in control. No, you I wouldn't would, think you so. You would imagine no. that you always feel that Paul is, is in control. Yeah. Um, and therefore, you're, you're, you're definitely, you know, you're hesitant. I think what you're saying is, because he thinks so much, I think he's far better writing his answers mm. than, than speaking his answers. Because actually, speaking just comes out. Writing, he can think about it and he can make sure it sounds like I want cra- it to sound. It comes across yeah. like you, I want yeah, it to come across. That, that's, it is a good point, but then at the same time, he actually says in the piece at one point where he's, I think he's been asked to do something for old school, old bond community college. Right, and yeah. then rather than actually writing it, he says, well, can you get someone to have an interview with me? And I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah, yeah so yeah. like it's... I like I, I, don't get me wrong. Yeah. On the whole, he's fantastic. I mean, in this, like it's it's in a just it's it's tens and as is so. Paul. Like Paul is equally, you yeah, know. Yeah, no, it's good. So there's a point of just um, that to finish then, and it's a quote from Off the Ball, November twenty first. Kevin Kilban, if you're looking for an immediate response to manager, this is when nobody had been appointed yet. By yeah. the way, and Mick and Stephen were being talked about as the two main contenders. If you're looking for an immediate response in the dressing room, Mick McCarthy would grab you more than Stephen Kenny. I'm telling you right now, that would be the case. It's me he's talking to in this uh, radio chat. Uh, did Brian Kerr suffer with that, I say? Kevin Goban, yes, yes he did. And it kills me to say that because I have so much respect for Brian and what he's brought to me. But there was an element of that around the dressing room. And I say, I wouldn't be surprised to hear that. I would think any Premier League or Championship player would be iffy about a League of Ireland manager. Kevin Goban, Callum O'Dowda and Harry Arder and lads <coughs> that have grown up in England will not know who Stephen Kenny is. I'm telling you that right now. So he asks him about that. He plays that to him, which is a slight... I'm, <laughs> <laughs> don't love, don't love yeah. that. Um, but the thing is, I'm going to play this clip, and Kenny says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'd heard that." So he was listening at the time. And were you hurt? Says uh, Kimmage, and Kenny says, "No, because that's a weakness. You shouldn't be affected by criticism." And Kimmage says, "Well, we don't. We both don't believe that." And Kenny says, "Well, maybe when it's about your personal character, it's different." And I hope he understands that that was not about his personal character. That was about this broader issue of a League of Ireland manager taking that job. That's why I asked about Brian Kerr. I asked about, in theory, a League of Ireland manager having to go into a dressing room with some Premier League players and increasingly championship players and below. So at the time, that wasn't uh, seen as a massive barrier to him getting the job. And the show has been nothing but impressed with the job that Stephen Kenny has done at Dundalk. It's been extraordinary. But it was a a worthwhile talking point at the time. Elephant in the room kind yeah, of feels like absolutely. the phrase. If we don't talk about it honestly, then we're not doing our job. So I hope he understood that listening. I hope he's not feeling like we were <laughs> knifing him in any way on the radio because it wasn't that. But it, it was a, a, it's an interesting area. We've only had one other League of Ireland manager get the job and you have a player in that dressing room saying there was an element, like being brave enough to say yeah, there yeah. was an element in the dressing room that weren't Absolutely. so sure about League of Manager. Like, it's fantastic honesty for Kev to say that. He yeah. didn't have to. He could have sidestepped that very easily. Well, so no. I hope Kenny isn't hurt because it was anything but personal. It was about any League of Ireland Manager. If Shane Keegan was being linked with the yeah. job, it would, it would have been said about you. It wasn't identifying an issue in Stephen Kenny's personality or him personally and saying, this won't go down well. It was general. So I, I hope he understands that. 
it sort of ties in with what one of the lads, I think it was Luke, said in the piece that I did with the Bowes lads, where he just wants to go to England because that's to be seen as mm. as the success. Mm. Whereas if you stay here, then it's just that. There is that respect issue, but... But he did yeah. say to Ed Malone a few days later, he finds the question insulting. So it probably does rankle with him. But think about it, like, like what we said, like, then again, maybe. There's a lot what of players. There's a lot of players in in that in that dressing room who don't really have the right to be looking at. Totally agree. Like and totally agree. Stuff that he would have done with Dundalk, Dundalk in Europe, and as a fella. But it's even it's difficult. Like, you'll you'll probably have a better appreciation of this about, about what it's like being a man. Well, you will have a much better appreciation. <laughs> Sorry. Are you sure about that statement, yeah, David? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm only going up my football manager career here now. Sorry, Jesus. Um, but like, yeah, so you'll have them. You will know what that's like in terms of having that sense of do the players actually respect you. Yeah, well, look, you, you can decrease <laughs> decrease the level by about a hundred when you're talking about. But, but I suppose in terms of like for like me having no playing background and walking into the Wexford Youth dressing room for the first time. Yeah. Um. Absolutely. How could I for a minute not think? that the players are looking going, ah, here now, who's this kind of a, a thing? And it then absolutely becomes about two things very, very quickly. It becomes about your work. Yeah. How much yeah. can you impress them with your work? And that is in Stephen's control, and Stephen will feel 100% confident that he is going to essentially blow people's socks off with, with his work. And there, I, I, I think he'll be proven that that will be the case. That will be the case. You talk to anybody and it, he's, you know, he's, there's no stone left unturned. The bit he can't control is the other thing is going to be the results, obviously. Yeah. So if they go in and they win their first three games, Ole Gunnar and Solskjaer go in, win the first three games, well then all of a sudden that question is almost immediately kind of removed. So it is. I will certainly take the chance to say my, my first game with Wexford was a South East Derby against Waterford United who had finished third the previous year we'd finished second from bottom mm. we won the game 6-1 okay I was I was a new I could I could see in the players the next training session there was a diff, they were looking at me differently okay they were looking at me differently I would like to think they were impressed with the body of work leading into that game and were starting to think oh, yeah he kind of knows his stuff yeah. but then the result but like the result, you know, you have how much control over the result. Yeah. If Stephen gets one or two brilliant results, well then, everything will go brilliantly. Obviously, the question is, if he doesn't get one or two brilliant results in those first one or two games, are the players then going to go, yeah, he's working the training ground, did look really good, but look, you know, but he see has, how the game went. He man- like every speaker, to every player, it's just his man management as well. Like, he knows what, how players tick and what, and what how people tick. He just gets right. gets people as well, which is one thing you speak to anyone who's played for. Absolutely. They all know that. So it's one thing where... Obviously, he's a coach and, and all the rest of it, and they'll be impressed with his body of work. He'll know what about players. Like he'll be doing his homework, and he'll know everything about them, what, what makes them tick, and what they need, what drives them. And it, could, it goes down to the other point as well, where you could have someone with the, the best playing career in the world, and they go on to a training pitch, and they just don't have it, or they can't deal with people as often, well. Often, more often the case and than that's not. It, like, so well, Kenny says there, without any doubt, I suspect as well, that uh, he's going to go in there, he says it's going to be precise and it's going to be detailed. And look, I think we're all for that. And the, I think the reality is, and we talked to Kev about it actually, seeing as it's come up again today, but when he's in during the week, I think Kev, and probably did make the point that ultimately, if you're a massive name or if you're in football terms a nobody, I'm not saying Stephen Kenny is by the way, mm. but if you go in there and your training is good, players tend to judge you pretty quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. Three sessions. Absolutely. And so... Uh, to be honest, I'm not that worried about it, but I, I, I do stand by the comments I made. I wouldn't be surprised to think that Premier League players or Championship players would be a bit sniffy about it. 
it's that's the attitude over there. Sorry, I mean we can delude ourselves and, and tell ourselves the League of Ireland is fantastic, but the attitude over there is that it's not. And, oh, yeah. and in terms of your conversation on the radio, because I remember listening to the conversation on the radio that night. In terms of your conversation on the radio, disgraceful. <laughs> that was when when people are chatting about whether Stephen Kenny is the right or wrong appointment in a pub, and I don't know if this is the media, this is the, what we should be judging everything about, but that is inevitably one of the things that two people chatting who have a reasonable understanding of football in a pub and they're having a point and they're chatting about the appointment, mm. they're going to ask that question. Mm. So, Well, certainly if like, one of them has 100 plus caps and played under a League of Ireland manager for Ireland, now you ramp up he's well the value placed of that. To give yeah. The, yeah. There was a great moment that um, the Soccerers had our, we had our kind of annual awards and he was on stage and he sort of took the mic a little bit and he... It was a great speech, and I thought what he was saying about he's he was pointing out the people who kind of were in the room and who had been involved with Ireland before, and all the people. And he was saying how he's he's representing them. He feels as if he is representing them, and without putting too much pressure on him for when he does get the job, there is going to be that sense. That I, I'm just thinking about it now, like this could be a moment where if he comes in and takes it by storm and has and has Ireland playing how he had done Dock playing, yeah. which in theory he should be able to do because. There should be better players in that squad. That's yes. whatever yeah. international footballers. Yeah. Yeah. He, like, if that happens, you would have to be just deluded and an ignorant gobshite not to then think that there's something in this league of world. Mm. If people still don't see that, well then there's no hope, and that's why there will be so much goodwill from the league of world circles, and there will be players in that dressing room who maybe will be iffy about it. But then you'll probably find that those players maybe won't be around for too much longer if. They're not of the calibre he wants as well, you know. And deservedly so, you know, if, the, if that is their attitude. But I, I really don't think it'd be the predominant one. He's been in the Europa League. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of all he has to, mm. to say to them. Like, it's not the barometer to go off, but I remember, like, man, looking up to cover all those games yeah. in, the, in the Europa League. And literally every press conference was from the opposition manager, this is not a typical Irish British yeah, yeah, yeah. team. And that's not the barometer to go off, judging what other people think of you. Like, as he says himself, he knows what he wants from his players, how he wants to play, and he's going to go in with that, that mentality. And... It will be his way. He'll, like, there might not be the, the biggest names and might not end up playing. Right. He'll get lads who want to play how he wants to play. He says it himself, maybe results aren't the most important. He'll soon find it. They will be. <laughs> and he knows that, obviously. He knows that. But yeah. it's just, it's, I think it, will, it could be a big t- thing as well, as I said, for, for the league. Huge. Ah, yeah. No, and uh, to be honest, no better person to go and represent the league. That's for sure. Yeah. That's know? for sure. Yeah. If we're, uh, by the way, if we're hoping that he's going to have a look on his side, um, David will tell you, uh, about 10 minutes after he got presented with the sport, soccer, Sports Personality of the Year at the Soccer Awards, he then won the raffle for the night's day. Yeah. Um, last question before you move on. And here's just from, from me asking you, because you'd have a better... Wh- why did he agree to do this? The interview. Hmm. Like he seems to spend a lot of the interview trying, as you say, not to give away a massive amount. He's sitting down to do an interview with Paul Cambridge for five hours. He, he knows yeah. what he's going to get. I was just trying to think, you know. I do think it's this is something I think like that Paul was chasing even before he was the Ireland manager. So there could be that element as well where he knows when he's not just asking me because I've got this gig. Yeah. Like I think he did want to speak to him even before that. So he could have just. Well, had a spare five hours. Like hour, like hour. <laughs> but um, I'm delighted he did. But yeah. I'm just wondering from yeah, yeah. you know from. Well, you know him. You ask. Well, that can be the first question from his next interview with him. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, look, it's obviously well worth a read. We've spent loads of time on it there. Yeah. It's in the Sunday Independent. Um, I mean, it's pretty pretty cool to have the next Irish manager in that kind of environment yeah. and doing Fantastic. that kind of interview. So it's, it's well worth a read. Um, if we 
very quickly zip through the final football stories with our two football men. <laughs> then um, Eamon Sweeney's talking about Neil Warnock and uh, Brexit and, and is not terribly shocked that there is this uh, leave attitude within football and it's Johnny Foreigner who dives. Uh, Tommy oh, Collin yeah. touches on it too as well. The outrage that the penalty shootout in the FA Cup at the weekend trumped Theresa May's uh, speech where, you know, <laughs> she could have resigned uh, potentially. So there's a bit of Brexit talk in the football pages as well. You yeah, like I'll, I'll openly admit now my, my understanding of Brexit is um, about as, as low as any man's you'll could, fit, could certainly the same be. You'll fit the over in the UK as well. <laughs> you know? right in at Westminster, <laughs> I think, to be honest. But I, um, yeah, I thought, I thought Eamon's piece was, was really, really good for, for two reasons. It's his usual entertaining stuff. You know, it's, it's, it's very, very funny in pieces. Um, but then when he actually goes into what it could potentially mean, I, I certainly didn't have a full understanding of just how big a part, it, it, how, how much it could change um, football over there. But just on, on the interesting part, you've, you've mentioned it. Um, I thought this was very good. Uh, where are we? Here we are. Uh, it's a different case altogether when Johnny Farner hits the deck. So this, as you say, is talking about the diving issue. Cue the, cue the clucking, the fit of vapours, the exclamation of, get up! An exasperated voice of a man dealing with a waiter who doesn't speak English in a kitchen that doesn't serve chips. Um, if, if, if ever there was a way of words, he, he certainly hasn't there. But yeah, Joe, I mean, he goes into the actual percentages of um, players. Here we are. Players from a nation in the world's top 10 have to have played 30% of their country's international games the previous two years, a figure rising to 45%. Uh, for rankings between 11 and 20 and 60% for rankings between 21 and 30. So these are the rules that are currently in place for players that clubs are trying to bring in from outside the EU, which now effectively obviously would become pretty much everybody if if they weren't in the EU. Um, So, I mean, he lists off, that would mean that N'Golo Kante wouldn't have have ticked that box when he arrived in the Premier League. Cristiano Ronaldo wouldn't have ticked that box. Thierry Henry wouldn't have ticked that box. extraordinary, yeah. You know, that's that's amazing. A BBC survey showed that currently 332 players from the EU currently playing in Britain would be excluded under those criteria. Uh, this is in the event of a no-deal Brexit, as I understand it. But, yeah. Uh, who knows what kind of Brexit we're going to get. But I haven't fully realised it was that serious either. Me either. It, it, it certainly could massively change the landscape, really. You know, you know he references the, um, the horse racing industry too. And Dennis Walsh in the Sunday Times, it's a brilliantly uh, simple, like it's not simple, it's very, very complicated, but he makes it relatively simple to understand about what it might mean for horse racing. And the racing industry has come out in the last week really to just flag how serious this could be if it's a no-deal Brexit. So the big issue, the dominant concern, he says, is the movement of horses. So in 2017, for instance, 26,000 horses moved between Britain, Ireland and France in just one year, and a lot of it for sales. And so he says there's a a tripartite agreement at the moment that will um, fall in an orderly Brexit, it'll continue to function during transition. But if there's no deal Brexit, then it could be an absolute mess. So he says here that, um, in practical terms, horses leaving or entering the EU are subject to veterinary checks at points of entry. And in Ireland, there are only two border inspection posts at Dublin and Shannon airports. Airports, because essentially they haven't been needed, he says. Yeah. So he says, Brian Cameron, chief executive of HRI, the Horse Race in Ireland, said uh, this week that work had started on making um, a border inspection post ready to go at Dublin Port. But, you know, he said um, the thoughts of these kinds of checks and restrictions, horses standing around at ports for hours, fills everyone in the industry with absolute dread. 
uh, in total as well. Would it be like a common travel area for horses? Or? I just, uh, I just, I mean, they're going to have to sort something out. And um, the concern, and he, may, you know, he, he rightly makes the point that trying to get this sorted out, can you imagine where this is on the agenda in Westminster? How low, the, how small a cog in the wheel of his horses. I reckon if some of those people in Westminster who would probably love their horses, if they realised what was actually ahead of them with that, with that. That's true, yeah. They'd be like, oh, well, not, he said 52% uh, of the current stock of National Hunt uh, horses in Britain originated in Ireland. In a no-deal scenario, world trade organisation rules would come into play, which would mean an 11.5% tariff on geldings. So that terrifies uh, anyone selling horses to the UK. But isn't it amazing, Joe, like if you think, as I say, with very, very poor understanding of the whole thing, yeah. if, if you talk about the amount of people involved in the horse racing industry who you know, have a fondness for their whose livelihoods are involved in it, you think of the hundreds of thousand people, hundreds of thousand people who, who are avid, avid, avid soccer fans over there. It's almost like this is kind of the stuff the Remain people should have been putting out there, yeah, <laughs> really, yeah, to try yeah, and win yeah. the thing the first time round, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's a fair point, certainly on the racing. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, there's a Brexit flavour starting to eke its way into the papers. This is the this first time I've seen it this widespread, actually, in yeah. the papers. They, it, and just with, with Tommy Conlon in the sin, though, you, you go through it and you just laugh constantly. Mm. It's just, it, is, it is very good because he's, he's tying it in with when Theresa May was making her speech, which was only two and a half minutes, but was still quick enough for her to lose half a million viewers. <laughs> Something like that. Which, that's, that's fair play to her. That's, that's actually really impressive. But like, he's talking about, obviously, the Derby County, Southampton match that went to um, extra time and then penalties. So it's on BBC One. And then he says they had a decision to make, shunt the football over to BBC Two or the Prime Minister. A full-time Gary Lineker presented from the studio in St Mary's Stadium gave us, his, gave us his verdict. We'll have to overrun, he revealed. There will be a news bulletin on BBC Two at 10 o'clock that, that you should know about because obviously there's a bit of news going on today. Yeah. But we're sticking with the football until the end. And then Tommy writes, and with those faithful words, Lord Reith sat bolt upright in his grave, the founding father of the BBC. Yeah. <laughs> it does make the point, if, if she had resigned, and I'm sure they had checked with you know, the... the yeah. Um, communication staff there's not going to be anything like that is there in advance so they would have known but yeah, yeah, true. It would, he says it would have been a big misjudgment uh, to lose that many viewers in oh, something like that. Maybe two, a, two minutes is pretty impressive so hold on wait a minute I'll just try and go back here so so yeah so some 600,000 switched over to BBC2 to watch her giving her a total audience of 2.5 million she spoke for two and a half minutes oh, two and a half minutes which might seem like a trifling period of time but was in fact uh, long enough for her to lose more than one million viewers. Before she <laughs> <laughs> I know it's low down on her priority list, but I wonder if she, you know, how did the speech yeah. go? Well, you lost a million people in two and a half minutes. I also like the fact that you, Edwards, one of the B uh, BBC's yeah. anchorman, liked the tweet criticising the fact that. I'd say he did. Yeah, like miserable <laughs> outside Westminster having to wait for it all. It, yeah, it's just funny. It's just funny. For anyone who hasn't got a clue about Brexit, it's actually something that you can read about Brexit that's actually funny. Yeah, which is saying something. Um, Shane Larry's on all the, the front pages. There's some great pictures. There's a picture yeah. here. I'll hold it up for you so you can have a look. And uh, this is on page 12 of the Sunday Times. Larry holds his nerve and he's lifting up his young daughter and that looks very much like his wife's, the back of her head, looking at the pair of them. And David Snake came in here today <laughs> this did it for me. Yeah. This maybe it's because you're a father now. Spot the new father. Spot yeah, the new yeah. father. This one just had you a bit rattled. I did, yeah. Well, I also because like this morning it's it was a safe place. There's no toxic masculinity here. I know, here. I know. I know. Be comfortable with your tears. <laughs> yeah, no, because I, I, I was actually on hand on heart. I was actually feeding my own son this morning while I was looking at it. How old's your son? He's five months old. Okay, for your first? Yeah, my first. Yeah, that I know of. And um, what you call it? He, uh, it's just a great photo. I'm just. I was even looking at it thinking. 
that's the photo we'll have at home. Yeah. It's not going to be him with a trophy. Like it's, it's just a fantastic photo, of a fantastic fella. It's a shame maybe that you can't see his wife properly in it as well because even his daughter you can't really see properly. But it's just great. It's just even look at his face, like look at him. It's just pure, pure happiness. Yeah. Pure I happiness. think we all, yeah, everybody still remembers Parry Harrington's little fella running out that time when he Baby when he won it as well. You yeah. know, it is. It's the kind of memory that sticks I, with I, you, all right? And isn't I think it? I think I saw as well yesterday on Ryan. I think it was Ryan Bailey. From the 42, yeah, it was. And he yeah. said that he actually mentioned that he'd love to win something so he could share it with his family, and it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just glorious. You, you retired to the next room this morning and just had I a did, few moments. I was, I was good. On, I, I was on the 29 a.m. to town today, just bawling my eyes in the back <laughs> of the bus. There's nothing wrong with being in touch with your emotions. I know. It's, um, just, it's, just, it's just great. And uh, yeah, well, yeah, obviously, then when I got reading, got, got reading about it, as I was saying to you earlier, like just reading Roy Cortis in the, in the Sunday World, because yeah. just obviously. Who you said you've been reading for a long time. Yeah, like yeah, because like, most people would have been like he's been kind of a staple, and he's just I, I love reading him because he's just got such a way with words. He's just I, I think he's very, very, very good writer. Like he just brings something different, and he's just got a bit of a warmth and a bit of a I don't know, he's just got a flow. But it's just the intro where he's talking about with Street Fighter, great a short game is cultivated as a Van Gogh brushstroke and a, and a sun bursting smile. Shane Lowry transformed the Arabian desert into a palace of atonement. <laughs> <laughs> so like you're yeah. not going to get that all the time I'll no. tell you up, up there with my colleague Philip Quinn similar way say way with words and it's just great intro for it yeah, yeah. piece and sums it up and it's, yeah, it's just Philip Quinn's writing about Shane Larry today everyone yeah. is really uh, Larry admitted he'd woke he'd slept although he had uh, slept reasonably well he had twice woken up during the night and had some bad thoughts going through his head that's uh, Derek Clemens in the Sunday Times mm. report he said that to various people and he was imagining his daughter caddying for him at the par three at Augusta because he gets back into the top fifty in the world now. Yeah. So it was a good shot of getting back to Augusta. So that's actually a good point. But on a serious level about it, in terms of in the piece about the night before, he woke up and he had a couple of bad thoughts. You can only imagine what was going through oh, his yeah. head and in terms of after what had happened um, before from in terms of in 2016. But just we were saying, like, like, he just probably is one of the most likable. Yeah, not a, not a bad bond there, down to earth. Yeah. Um, right. Let's rip through some stuff because there's yeah. actually some very good stuff. Um, a chance meeting between Liam Hayes and David Walsh. Uh, Keen Healy's done some interesting pieces with various people. There's a Roy Sheehan, the boxer. There's Neve Rocket, the Waterford hurler, who's she's doing interviews across the week, but really, really good ones. And Marie Crow talking to Carl Lacey as well. We struggle to hit everything, so um, yeah. let's rip through some stuff very quickly. In terms of GEA, um, Mick Foley on page eleven of the New Times, you thought was a a nice different kind of piece. Obviously, there's lots on the hand passing uh, mm. rule and stuff, but you liked uh, Mick Foley looking at two of the lesser lights in hurling. Yeah, right? very, very much the lesser lights when you're talking about a, a, an All Ireland club uh, junior hurling semi final, and even more so when you're talking about Leith from against Monaghan. Um, but it is, it's really, really good. It's a very, very good angle that he's managed to come from on it. Um, Carrick and Shannon against Castle Blaney. Yeah, I'm, I'm desperately trying to look at Twitter here because that game is on at the moment, so we might, right, we might okay. get an update on how that one's going. That was thrown in at, at two o'clock, so they're well into it at this stage. But he does, he manages to, to paint a, a really good picture, I think, David, of, of, of both areas, um, some of the diehards that are involved. Yeah. Um, he's talking about the Carrick side first when he, he says that... Uh, Obviously, it's such a, a, a tremendous achievement for them. Um, ten Leitrim teams had made a Connacht final previously. All of them had been beaten. Um, and he's talking about you know people who've moved away, as tends to happen in places like this. You know, a lot of the people are, are moving away. He got a phone call from Australia from somebody who wanted to congratulate him and say this is wonderful. Oh. Wanted to know was there anything that mm. that he could do from Australia to. Uh, 
to say well done and he managed to wrangle 40 kit bags for the lads out of him which was a, <laughs> a great move out of it so it was um, but yeah really really good as you say very very much unhurled um, in in the case of Castle Blaney it took the arrival of a of a Kilkenny man a Bally Ragged man down there which is as you can imagine a Kilkenny man arriving into an area like that would be treated much the same as a Monaghan man arriving into, into the Gaelic football parts of Kilkenny yeah. would be and uh, he seems to have done a really really good job in the area yeah no there's a great line there where kind of he says the, the, the hurling people in the town found him the Kilkenny man <laughs> So you just have like visions of like yeah, like, you must just, know about Harlan. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it was just something. Yeah, kind of. It's a nice page. It's a nice page by, by Michael, and it's on page yeah, page eleven in the Sunday Times. I suppose yeah, by the time maybe people might get around to reading it now, if they haven't already, the pretty much might be over. And still worth a look though. It's still yeah, still worth a look just because like it's it's a preview of a match, but it's also kind of the story of two different kind of various towns. There's stories of grief and a bit of tragedy and. Yeah, it's just different, and it's yeah. well worth it. Well worth it. Even if you haven't got a bit of a graph for for GA, it's you, you'll you'll fly through it, and you'll kind of you'll want to know who's won the match by the end of it. Okay, good. Yeah. Seeing as we're talking about hurling, Shane, uh, I've heard a few people mention that Derek McGrath's uh, lecture, I suppose, is what it was, or presentation at the GA coaching conference was exceptionally good. And you happened to be there. I guess you're an interested coach, and you were saying McGrath was every bit as good as people might suspect. Can you give us? Can you give us like the spark notes here? Well, firstly, I'd say he would certainly disagree with the word lecture. We'd definitely steer away from lecture because the last thing he was possibly attempting to do was to lecture anybody, which is part of, of the whole thing with yeah, him, really, yeah. is that he's, he's as far from lecturing you as you could possibly That's get. Point, yeah. um, look, he was, he was fantastic. He was fantastic. How was long did he speak it. for? He spoke for 45 minutes. Yeah. And I, I, often, I, I go to a lot of this stuff, whether rightly or wrongly. I go to an awful lot of these conferences and an awful lot of these speakers. And I often talk about you know how many... How many nuggets can you get out of somebody? His his ability to drop that many nuggets in forty five minutes was 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 absolutely amazing. We were coming away after it at the end. I'll, I'll go into a couple of things he said now, but yeah. we were coming away at the end. We were just passing comment as you do with these things that it, it happened to be on the same weekend as the Pendulum Summit, and I challenge anybody at the Pendulum Summit to claim that they got as many nuggets in forty five minutes out of uh, out of anybody who presented there as we got out of Derek McGrath. He was there was such an openness about him. Um, an openness and and because actually he had done he had showed a video of um Park Matney at the time he'd got injured that they'd that, that he'd made for the team to be shown on the way to the Munster semi final I think it was and like he sat down in front of a camera it probably took him the best part of two minutes before he could get a word out every time he tried to speak his emotions got the better of him yeah. um and he got up and he went away and he came back and we're watching all of this um you know and I'm thinking to myself. Is he okay with this? He also showed us a letter. So this is in the video he recorded, he couldn't get the words out? That's it, yeah, okay. that's it. Definitely a good two minutes before he managed to speak his first word. Right. Um, the interesting thing about it as well was, again, I'm trying to put myself in Derek's shoes here. Um, I was thinking, you know, I have no affinity to these boys at all and I'm nearly getting welled up watching this. And it kind of dawned on me at that stage to go, right, I'm going to stop looking at the screen, I'm going to look and see where is Derek. And you look over and you can see Derek has lowered his microphone so that he's probably his breathing can't be heard and is looking away in a different direction. Mm. So I'd say even he felt he, you know, right, I can show everybody else this, but I'm not watching this again. This is <laughs> a little bit too yeah. much for me. Yeah. Um, he showed us a, a letter that he got from one of the players um, after he stepped away, thanking him for not transforming his hurling, transforming his life. 
Um, he showed us the text that he sent into the WhatsApp group um, when he was exiting it. Right. After Fanning got the job, he says, lads, now's the time for me to step away. You've got a, a new guy and, and gave us the full text. Within that text, he talked about his love for the players and then spoke about how he has, he's not going to make any apologies for anybody in this manly world of hurling for using the word love. He said it was a genuine love is exactly what he had for them. He showed us the um, he showed us the notes from a game plan heading into one of the games, which uh, we all got a bit of a kick out because I think point nine on the game plan was um, how they were to go about tactical fouling. <laughs> so we, we certainly Hilarious. got Yes, oh, we he had to own up to that okay. one. So, so he did. Um, but the openness of the whole thing that sounds was, great. Yeah, was absolutely fantastic. And I suppose the, the way um, the way I kind of put it is, I've, I've been to a lot of these things where you come away and you want to be a better coach mm. come away from Derek McGrath you want to be a better person you know <laughs> never mind being a better coach and uh, they're very very lucky there's no transfer system in the GA because I'd say every hurler in the county would want to be playing under them based on, on, on how we spoke last week you know God, if that's available on YouTube or anywhere it'd be great will be it? yeah, yeah. Um, I've, I've gone to it every year for the last three or four years they, they usually, they're usually up on the GA's YouTube channel about a month after it okay. so I'd say keep an eye on that in the next, in the next couple ah, of weeks fantastic. keep an eye on my Twitter I'll, I'll fire out a link yeah, to it 100%. as soon as it's as up because it is everybody every, anybody with any interest in, in management or people to be honest with yeah, you Joe yeah, needs yeah. to see it you know he's a great fella I mean I think that's evident just from his general demeanour I'm not surprised here it was so good so um, away from GA then a few quick pieces uh, Liam Hayes Dave Walsh like it's a I started this piece and thought <laughs> well I probably won't finish this and then you just go right to the end it's mm. a chance meeting between Hayes and David Walsh it seems on the Shelburne Road in the last week or so and it turns out I mean they knew each other and um he interviewed him, Dave Walsh interviewed him before the 87 all Ireland final and then there was a falling out. They basically hadn't spe- spoken in 25 yeah. plus years when they bumped into each other this week. That's how this thing can- kicks off. Also, by the way, he kicks off, the first line is, the hero of this story is a woman, we'll get to that later. Um, and he does. Um, Lee May's 57 now, we were good friends 30 years ago, he says, we both wrote about sport for a living. He was also one of the country's best uh, Gaelic footballers. And he remembers the interview on the eve of the 87 All-Ireland Final where they're chatting away and Hayes is a very good interviewee and the tape recorder was switched off and Hayes said to him, you haven't asked me about Jared." Jared being Hayes' older brother who four years previously, 1983, at the age of 24, had ended his life on the pitch at the local club, says um, David Walsh. And he said the tragedy was one that people had no wish to speak about. And Hayes said to him in that interview, I've never spoken about Jared, but I'd like to now. And he did. And Walsh talked about fearing for Hayes, you know, that this was going to be published on the morning of the All-Ireland Final. Mead won by six points. Hayes was man of the match. And he got a letter from Hayes' mother, Margaret, who explained that Liam had never spoken about his brother before and that she had driven in on the Saturday night knowing Liam had told her he had spoken to Walsh about uh, his brother, driven in on the Saturday night to get an early edition of the paper. And she read it under the street lights close to the GPO on O'Connell Street, read what Liam said. Tears flowed, she said. Suddenly, the Iron final not very important. Uh, an extraordinary picture to even uh, think about that. And then he goes on to talk about how he and Hayes fell out initially over uh, an insult. He says was gratuitous that he wrote about Liam's book, mm. even though the overall review of the book was complimentary. The Edward Skins book, and then that became that coolness became Arctic over Michelle Ooh, over Michelle Smith. Smith. And um, and then lo and behold, twenty six years later. They see each other in the street, and Hayes says, "How are you keeping?" Yeah, no, nice. cool, yeah. Like, Liam, <laughs> Liam's, Liam's my boss, and I actually bumped into the two of them as they were going 
for a walk. Did you understand the context? That this is it. I was looking at it thinking, what's going on here now? Who, who's, out, who's out of my job? And um, what you call it? But and it was, it was, it was literally because he, he said to me, he was like, oh, I'll be up in a, in a little bit, and he rocked in a couple of hours later. Like, he said they went to Starbucks for two hours. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, it was. And I was, I was curious. I didn't think there was, gonna, I didn't know there was going to be say this interview. And it is purely by chance. It literally is. It's two old mates who have fallen out. Realised after twenty odd years, like why did we fall out? If it was not yeah. ready for that, and then have a great chat. And uh, as you say, you you start it, and before you realise realise it, you finish it because it just it's very good. Like. In terms of the catch up chat, um, Walsh says matter of factly, Hayes says his body can no yeah. more take can take no more chemo or radiation. Even the immune system of a Meath football giant can endure only so much. Stem cell treatment is the next uh, stage. Hayes talks about he was diagnosed with non Hodgkin's lymphoma in twenty ten talks about how wonderful it is in the unit in St. James's. He says, what strikes you about cancer units is how chilled and polite and caring and friendly and human everybody is. Then you come out and re-enter the real world. Out here is not quite so impressive, he says, one of the yeah, standout absolutely. quotes. It's a, I think a great line there is, well, if you look uh, in the midst of our conversation, I realise that 25 years of separateness is vanished in 25 minutes. You yeah. know, it's, 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 it's fantastic. He then finishes off by getting around to asking the question, and this is the one that kind of struck a chord at me. He finally got, and I'm sure this question has probably been 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 with him a long time. Why did you choose an All Ireland final day yeah. to, to to speak about your brother? Um, and he he basically says that he, he he did it for his mom. And I suppose Irish men as we are, we 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 find it hard maybe to to talk about our our moms and our dads about stuff. And sometimes it's easier to talk to them via another medium. And that's yeah. clearly what he's done here, you know. Yeah, and he, the reason she's the hero of the piece is. She's always spoken about him publicly, and he says, when I visit home now, I'm going to see the black notebooks, mm -hmm. the one she calls her sad book. It has the names and contact details of all the people she's helped cope with the trauma that comes after losing loved ones through suicide. She's 86 now and still at it. Man, that's, a woman. Yeah, it's, that's incredible. Like, Isn't it? it really a woman. Is. I, can't, I can probably imagine there's more than one black book as well, which is even yeah. you know, but, um It's a hell of an encounter, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it really is. It's, just something totally different not expected and it's just very poignant as you say it's, yeah. it's not an interview it's like there's actually very few quotes in the piece it's just kind of talking through the whole situation and, and kind of their relationship and then obviously at the end about Liam's mum and yeah it's just uh, it is very nice yeah. to, um, to begin to finish up because we're well over an hour here actually we've been in here all, all day at this stage trying to cover everything um, Keen Healy you like there was he's across various um, yeah. pages talking about we might finish in him in just a moment. Um, there's Roy Sheen, the boxer, and there's Neve Rocket on the same page in the Mail on Sunday. I think they're both uh, really good. Uh, I guess very different pieces, obviously, but a similar theme of trying to fight a little bit against the odds. Mm. Um, Neve Rocket, you'll have seen across the week, I think her, her quotes have been everywhere, really. And I don't know that she do extra with the Sundays, or maybe I just didn't see the full extent of them. So she, you know, a, a kind of... She plays um, Hoarder, uh, Hurley, or Camogie for... Um, Waterford, the Little Woods Island Camogie League's starting up again and you know she was told in her teenage years she had a chronic knee problem that she was going to be in a wheelchair once she hit 30 which is kind of amongst the worst kind of news you can get at that age mm. um, her dad has been stubborn she said well we'll wait until you're 18 because they wanted to break her knees and realign them and then she's just kept on playing um, amazingly and she has arthritis you have the knees of a 60-year-old, a doctor has told her recently, that's how bad your left knee is. She won an intermediate All-Ireland in 2015, and now she's on supplements, painkillers, 
uh, permanently. She says, I could be up all night, not able to sleep. There's no massaging it, no rubbing it, nothing you can do, just this constant ache. You can't ice it or get the swelling down. Uh, really extraordinary. I don't know how you live with that. I don't know. She was on Off The Ball AM as well during the week doing an interview. I thought the piece, I had seen that during the week. The piece opens with um, the facilities for the Waterford team now and how in the not so distant past when she was playing Camogie for a county, they had to give two or three euro to pay for the lights, all of them. And going to a championship match, they were told you can either have the bus or you can have the meal. Mm. You can't have both. And then they broke through with a junior title in 2011. And now things, it looks to be a really great state of affairs in Waterford. So Tuesday nights they train on the WIT sports campus along with the senior hurlers. So afterwards they'll have a meal alongside Austin Gleeson, Jamie Barron. And so she talks about, you know, it's fantastic. And her father played for, um, for Waterford as well. And she's talking about the younger players coming through where you're sitting next to Austin Gleeson and you're getting to know them and you're friends with them. Just this sense that you're part of it now. You're, yeah. you're not the second-class citizens. You most definitely were. I'd, I'd wonder, in terms of uh, what she's gone through in her, in her kind of life, to still be playing, like, how much pressure does that put on you? Yeah. Like, do you feel, I have to succeed, I have to achieve because I'm putting my body through mm. so much? Can't really bear it in the first round. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. like, what happens? Like, <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's just... Like she's not sleeping at night and all the rest of that, and I don't want to be adding to our <laughs> to our language here. But like, there must be an enormous amount of pressure on that she must put on herself just to feel as if to make it worthwhile. Yeah, obviously she's getting loads out of it. She does make an interesting point, by the way, about um, the game. The rules need to change. So she said the last year's final wasn't good. It was very stop start if you didn't see last year's final. Loads of frees blown up because mm. she says um, we're all doing these gym programs, but you can't shoulder in camogie. Um, ref only was doing its job and also we have to wear the skorts we tried to I didn't know we tried to vote out the skorts to go for shorts but it didn't get through Congress what? <laughs> that's uh... the Camogie situation the Camogie um, Congress might need to re-examine that she says Camogie needs to come under the same bracket as Hurling so um, they wanted to get skorts out and it didn't pass through Congress which is just typical all right yeah laughable um, that's a good piece on page 71 yeah there's there's another piece just on, sticking with the Camogie for a minute um, just when you talk about about they certainly felt like second class citizens and hopefully that's that's changing to a certain extent uh, Clean Foley has a has a good piece on page 14 with um, with Katie Power of Kilkenny as well because you've, you've got the uh, the Camogie League is starting this weekend and that's I suppose why we've got a couple of pieces but uh, again on the on the topic of you know being somewhat second class citizens um, uh, Powers uh, Club Pilltown had got to the Camogie final um, when they narrowly lost their first senior final to Thomastown it actually took place at 11 in the morning with Pilltown's hurlers including her brother also in the county final the same day they requested an early throw in in their opposition and local Camogie board facilitated it so again you know 11 o'clock in the morning for a county final um because obviously the, the the lads it seemed had to take preference isn't isn't ideal you know yeah yeah but it's a good piece that one with Katie Power as well again another good uh, Camogie piece heading into the to kick off of the league this weekend uh, you liked Roy Sheehan yeah Mark Gallagher uh, in the mail on Sunday um, obviously you have it there in front of you it's just yeah it's just a mad story like it's well the headline is the reality bites for for Cinderella man and yeah. it's just well worth a read again it's just typical of Mark Gallery he he, uh, he finds the he finds these pieces and he, he kind of he's got a great kind of vast of uh, knowledge of different sports yeah he's teasing through with, so Sheehan won the last man standing TG Carr kind of he got a lot of building so Cinderella yeah. man type competition where they wanted to give someone the chance to turn pro and he hadn't fought for a few years at that stage he was working away 
he had been with the high performance unit with Gary Keegan mm. for a time, but the prize was 25 grand and the promise of an Irish middleweight title shot which if you he win. Hasn't, which he hasn't got. No. And so even that, the money, it took him happened. a while to get the money and yeah. you go through it and he's, I think he's 33, 34, 34 now. Yeah. And he's sort of, he's back on the building sites and he's still oldish, like this, this, this fight and Shot, yeah. it's, um, it's just going to be I don't know what's going to happen with it and it, but it's just well worth it it's, it's, no it's, it's a great surprise. find yeah. yeah Reality Bites is definitely a good headline he says I'm caught in a loop now I had to take five weeks off work before winning the last man standing competition to get myself ready for it but it all costs money and he says if you want to stay in the game it takes money his professional licence is now up for renewal yeah. so that means you have to pay for the brain scans and the medical tests and he's starting to think that's what he realise. he's realising now 33 he's got a steady income on the working yeah. again on the, on the sites and which, you know, it's, it's very good read. Yeah, okay. Um, I think just for time purposes, we may just have to wrap this up because we've been here uh, for far too long at this stage. Absolutely. But uh, no, it's been a real pleasure, really, really enjoyable, fellas. Uh, Shane Keegan, whose uh, pieces you can read in the Times online every Thursday, former manager of Wexford Youths in Galway, and David Sneed, who is working away with the Mail. Thanks a million, pleasure. Oh, Thank and, you. Uh, we'll see you again soon. Enjoy. Cheers. That's right. us done. We'll be back next Sunday. Good luck. Off the Ball. Find us on Twitter at Off the Ball. News Talk 106 to 108.